not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kay Wenigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Michael Steindl. Hi listeners and just to explain, Nat's not here today, she's on leave for a few weeks. Lucky Nat. Just when you thought gas was bad for the planet... Along comes an exciting new venture, developing renewable gas, renewable methane, in fact. How can more methane be good for you? Or a good thing for the planet, you ask? Here to tell us about it is Rowan Gillespie, who's the Managing Director at Southern Green Gas. Hi, Rowan. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Kay. Hello, Michael. Now, firstly, Rowan, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to this point? Uh, for my sins, I'm a civil engineer. Um, I also did an MBA and I've always been interested in building new business and, and building companies. Uh, so for the last 12 years, I've been heavily involved in a number of startups, all in the energy resources sector. Great. So now the first thing to do is give us an explanation exactly of what Southern Green Gas is proposing to do and how it's going to work. Yes, we're proposing to develop um, renewable methane projects with the end product being renewable hydrogen for fuel cell vehicles. And the way the, the technology works is that we'll put our projects in very high sunlight intensity areas in regional Australia, use that solar electricity to split water to produce hydrogen, so renewable hydrogen, and then we extract carbon dioxide from the air, combine the carbon dioxide with the hydrogen to produce methane, and we put that into the existing natural gas system. Okay, so you're actually extracting carbon dioxide out of the air, which is a good thing. Yes, that's right. So uh, for the last three years, I've been collaborating with the, uh, a group in CSIRO at Clayton here in Melbourne on technology to extract CO2 from air. So I'm very familiar with the technology, and I believe it, it has promise. So, Rowan, the final product is actually methane, which um, ideally we wouldn't be burning because you then produce carbon dioxide again. Why not go to hydrogen or um, uh, um, ammonia or something like that? I know hydrogen, you're probably going to say it's hard to transport. What about ammonia? Well, yes, so the, where the best place to do this either for, for any of these options where you make renewable hydrogen is high sunlight areas. So you're going to be a long way away from where the demand is. So if you produce hydrogen, how do you get it to market? Uh, producing it in the form of methane allows you to use the existing natural gas system. So we can pipelines and then through LNG shipping for export. So it just uses existing infrastructure and not having to build new infrastructure. So it's a way of carrying hydrogen to market. Um, and that's because hydrogen can't use those that infrastructure. Too many leaks. Is that well, it's it's a it's a term called hydrogen embrittlement of the pipeline wall. So if you put too much hydrogen in, it'll eventually wear out the pipes. So the preference for the pipeline companies is 
not to put uh, hydrogen so in. It's not so much an issue that hydrogen leaks so much more easily. It, it's more the deleterious effect on the network? Correct. Okay. And what about ammonia? Is that, would that be able to use the same network? No, so that would require new pipelines as well. Okay. Yes. Sorry, that would require new pipelines. You can't use the existing pipelines. Well, the existing pipelines are carrying natural gas, so um, they... So it's not an either-or situation, you Correct. So you'd have to build a new pipeline to get the ammonia to the coast, and then, and then you could ship it globally. And what conditions are needed to produce the methane? Well, we need good sunlight because you want to keep the cost down as low as possible. And the beauty with extracting the CO2 from the air is you can do that anywhere. So wherever we've got the best sunlight, there's also plenty of CO2 in the atmosphere to extract. Just getting back to the previous point, you're now partnering with APA, which is the owner and the operator of about 15,000 kilometres of high-pressure gas lines around Australia. Is that correct? Yes, that's right, yes. And so they'd be building new pipelines for you? Well, they so they have existing pipelines which they can expand to to carry uh, carry more gas. They um, it's quite complementary to what we're doing because they can get us to market and uh, we'll just uh, sell the gas. So it's quite a a good relationship. They provide the capital to fund the project under a build own operate basis. So you're just um, being a generator at. at Prime locations for you and injecting in, well prime locations that are near enough to a gas pipeline and then injecting into that network and all the rest is using existing infrastructure. That's correct, Michael. Yes. Okay. How does this compare, say, with digesting organic matter to produce methane? Yeah. So um, we've obviously looked at the other options, and in fact, uh, I uh, I was involved in a renewable energy company several years ago that had a technology to gasify biomass. And what I discovered through developing that company is that it's to be to have a production facility of world scale, you need an enormous amount of biomass, which is quite bulky, costly to transport. It's very hard to get enough of it in the one location to make an impact. Mm-hmm. There will definitely be smaller biomass projects, anaerobic digestion to produce methane. And mm-hmm. So, yes, that is part of the solution, but it's hard to see it being a big part. Hmm. And, you know, when you're describing the fact that you can use existing gas pipelines or, you know, similar sort of systems, that's the same with transporting it by water as well, isn't it? There's already shipping systems that are there and existing to transport the methane rather than natural gas. That's right. So uh, we're definitely targeting the domestic market, uh, but also through liquefied natural gas shipping, which is already in place, 40 countries globally currently import Um, natural gas in the form of liquid natural gas. So we've got access to all of Australia plus 40 countries globally. And when you look at countries like Japan and Korea, which have quite a number of hydrogen vehicles already, would they be a ready market for you? Absolutely. Um, um, They're certainly at the forefront of uh, introducing alternative fuels. They have a mandate to start importing renewable hydrogen come 2030. And the reason they're doing that is that their solar resource is quite poor compared to Australia's uh, and they have limited available flat land. So really it's it continuing a long history of trading partnership between Australia and those countries in delivering them energy. So I, I highlighted before that burning this methane produces the CO2 again, which instinctively is a bad thing. But your point is, if, if I understand correctly, that you're displacing 
diesel and petrol because you're no longer digging up and producing new CO2. It's just a closed loop. You're drawing down the exact amount that you're producing. Correct. Uh, when the gas is used in, in Australia or in Korea or Japan, wherever it ends up, the CO2 that is released is balanced by the CO2 that we've extracted from the air to, to, uh, to make the renewable. Which is halfway um, there. That's so, right. So that brings me to the really exciting aspect of this for me, that you do actually draw down CO2. You found a way of doing that. CO2 is about 0.04% of the atmosphere. Um, drawing that out from the raw atmosphere rather than a concentrated source of CO2, like a, a power station exhaust or something, seems like a really tricky task. It, it's in fact one of those golden bullets that we need. Um, how do you do this economically? Well, there's uh, so you need a really clever absorbent, and um, there is a company called Climeworks in Switzerland that are doing this at the moment. You can buy a product off them. Uh, it's still very high cost, and, and what um, CSIRO has been looking at is a better way to do that, and it's a technology called Metal Organic Frameworks. Which moths. Is, yes. Moths, which yes. is a, 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 a nanomaterial with huge surface area which particular types of moth can preferentially absorb the CO2 from the air. So this is really cutting-edge nanotechnology, which I believe has promise for this application. So, so you- that's different? To the Swedish one? Yes, that, there is a different absorbent. It's, it's not a moth. Okay. This absorbent is uh, much more efficient? Yes. Firstly, uh, larger surface area, so it can soak up more carbon dioxide, and secondly, needs less energy to get it back out of, the, of this sponge, as it were, less energy to get it out of the sponge. I know, Syro, have a, a website called mothworks.com. Um, so this is the technology you're aiming to incorporate. You're, you're hoping to work with them or something to do that? Well, we're, so I've collaborated with them for the last three years. Oh, you're uh, an advisor to them, aren't you, on commercialisation? That's correct. Um, so I'm well aware of the potential of, of metal organic frameworks for this application. So uh, I think that's the way of the future. Mm-hmm. So on your website, there's this illustration of how this all works. Are we talking about the methanator at is that what it's called? Yes, that's right. So uh, to make methane, you combine the hydrogen, the renewable hydrogen, with the CO2 from the air through a, uh, a process called Sabatia process, which was invented 150 years ago. It's a proven technology, and uh, out pops um, hot, wet methane. You recycle the water back to the electrolysis unit, and you use, use the heat, the excess heat, for the CO2 extractor. Ron, methane is is a really potent greenhouse gas um, in its unburnt form. Um, mm. uh, in the long term, 100-year horizon, it's about a 28 times CO2, but the real difficulty is in the short term, 20-year horizon, it's 86 times. So it deteriorates faster, so it, it, it lessens its effect over time. But the short term is what really matters for the planet. Um, the problem with fracking and unconventional methane supplies is that so much of it leaks. What's going to happen with your process? How much leakage is there going to be along the way of producing it, shipping it, and so on? Well, uh, Michael, you mentioned fracking. We've coined the the phrase a virtual gas well and a virtual gas field. And the reason I say virtue is that we don't drill any wells, we don't do any fracking. In fact... uh, Virtue and virtual. (laughs) Yes, and uh, we uh, we also are proposing to extract the water from the air. So there's no impact on uh, from drilling wells, there's no impact on groundwater or surface water courses. We'll extract the water from the air. So we call this a virtual gas well. So 
Um, but in terms of fugitive emissions from the pipeline system, you know, that's obviously an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, but uh, we see, you know, if you had to build new infrastructure, that's more energy consumption, whereas if we've got methane, we can use the existing infrastructure. How are you using the same infrastructure, given that you're saying that the gas pipelines are already there? Well, that's what I mean. We, because we produce methane, we can use existing natural gas infrastructure. If you were going to produce ammonia, you'd have to build all new infrastructure, which is, you know, you'd have to consume more energy building pipelines. Um, Rowan, I'm pretty much a full-time climate activist. About once a month, someone comes up to me with a magical solution. We were just, Kay and I were on a panel recently, and this guy just wouldn't let the panel go ahead because he wanted to tell us about the new 80% efficient wind turbines and so on. This sounds like one of these magic solutions. How do we know you've got the goods? Um, you, I, I know your credentials are pretty good. You've got the background with BHP. and um, t- Tell us a bit more about how we know you've got the goods or where else this is happening, what um, sample projects there are that are similar. Yeah, so I guess all I can say to that is is I've got some battle scars from previous technology ventures. Um, I was at ceramic fuel cells for a period of time, uh, so a lot of experience in developing technologies. Why didn't I, they ever go anywhere? Sorry? Why uh, didn't they ever go anywhere, the ceramic fuel cells? Uh, I think the business model wasn't right. It was assuming that natural gas would stay cheap and electricity would be expensive, whereas it's actually gone the other way. But, look, I can't guarantee this is going to work. I believe um, I'm going to give it the best shot, and I think it has promise. And I think we've come up with a methodology that can really get the costs down to a point where this makes it viable. It's really only the cost of it that's an issue, it seems to me. Well, and improving the technology. Yes. Well, the, the technology will work. But at what cost? That's exactly right, Kate. The technology for extracting CO2 from the air has been proven, but it hasn't been demonstrated to be viable, and that's our job. Well, the CSIRO MOFWORK site says they have a pilot plant, but they've still got to hone out technical difficulties, and at the same time they're looking for partners. Um, but So that doesn't necessarily mean they can hone out those technical difficulties, does it? Well, it's, there's always a risk in, in any technology commercialisation. Um, mm-hmm. So we're addressing those risks by a variety of approaches, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come out as it unfolds. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Rowan Gillespie from Southern Green Gas about an exciting new venture hoping to deliver renewable gas. Yes, and we're proposing to build a demonstration project next year. So we're... Um, We've got a, a pledge going on Ready, Fund, Go, which would accelerate the first stages of that demonstration project. So mm-hmm. we're keen to get some support. So tell, tell us about us, that at the end then. Yep. T- tell us about the location and what's required to get this up and running, this test plan. So APA have nominated a, a site for us uh, near Dolby in southern Queensland and it gives us access to the pipeline system. So, so that's get, quite close by there. Yes, that's right. That's so, why you chose that site. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, with, with APA's strong support. So within 12 to 18 months, we hope to demonstrate production of renewable methane. Is that a fairly small surface land area? or? Yes, yeah, so I guess part of our approach is to demonstrate a 5 kilowatt size module, which would be no bigger than you know 10 metres by 10 metres, and for a large project, we just replicate that a million times over. So no scale-up risks. We have a small module. We get economies of manufacture to drive the costs down. 
Is that sort of like a three-container size thing or something? Oh, it? even smaller than that. But, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so these units, um, we just sprinkled them over the countryside, as it were. <laughs> Fairy dust. <laughs> so I'm just still interested in um, the, the process where you've got your methanator, which, which is the last large cost and a new technology that, that you're working on and the greatest unknown. The rest of it, so once you've produced the methane and you transport it to wherever, you go to a, a reformer, what you call a steam methane reformer, which produces the hydrogen? Yes, so the, the, the target market is renewable hydrogen into fuel cell vehicles. So if you can conceive... You've bought a uh, Hyundai Nexo and you want to fill it up with hydrogen. You go to a, a service station. Well, the, it's proposed that the methane or natural gas is reticulated to that service station and there's a steam reformer that reforms it back into hydrogen. And, and emits CO2. And emits CO2. Mm-hmm. So that's the CO2 that's balanced by the CO2 we've sucked out of the air when we produced it in the first place. Have you given any thought to capturing that CO2 with your your MOF technology or any other technology at that point? Because it's going to be concentrated CO2, isn't it? Much easier to capture. Yes, that's right. So there there is um, technology that's emerging for CO2 into cement and concrete making, which could be a sink for the CO2. Um, oh, like the BZD Zero Carbon Cement Project. There you go. <laughs> Report, yeah. Yeah, so I think um, lots of people are looking at uh, you know potential sinks for CO2. Mm, that's good. So a classic Australian cringe question, um, is this being done elsewhere? Is it, what, what prototypes around the world are there? You mentioned the Swedish thing, which is a different technology. Yes. So uh, yeah, other groups, there's a group in Canada, are also looking at uh, extracting CO2 from air. I think Australia's in a great and unique position is that we have fantastic sunlight and we've also got an, an LNG export industry. So... Not only is this brilliant for Australia because it could displace uh, diesel and uh, petrol imports, and we import about $30 billion a year of, of those fuels, mm-hmm. so we could potentially be self-sufficient in transport fuels, but also this could be a very significant export market. Yeah, yeah so th- that totally reverses it from being an import market to an export market virtually overnight. Absolutely, Which absolutely. Even so- now... Um- current federal government that seems very wedded to exporting fossil fuels because of the money might like that story. Well, I guess, uh, you know, we're going to leverage off that existing natural gas system to get our product to market. So I guess I'm glad it's there because we can use it. And then you don't have the emissions from the vehicles either. No, that's right. Diesel and petrol. Because a fuel cell vehicle running on hydrogen, its only emission is water out the tailpipe. Mm, Wonderful. Where where are you proposing to establish production? The, The test site... Was it a place called Dolby, did you say? Dolby in southern Queensland. So that's yeah. a, for a demonstration project. But yeah. for a, a commercial-scale project, we would look anywhere um, west of the, the Great Divide, actually, you know, so where the sunlight intensity is the best and it's close to the existing natural gas pipeline system. So th- Can we get back to – sorry to interrupt there. I don't think we fully explored the – where other um, um, places that are generating this sort of technology are. Around the world? Yeah. There's a well, North the, Africa project, isn't there? Yeah, so, so in, in Europe they're, they're looking at this concept primarily because they've got a large amount of excess wind capacity blowing at night and they, they generate um, renewable gas or re- renewable methane through, through that mechanism by using the cheap mm-hmm. wind power. Uh, longer term, they'll probably look at doing something similar like this in North Africa and exporting that to Europe. 
So um, where they have a lot of sun. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I think uh, the the production will gravitate to where the best solar resource is to produce the renewable methane. The question is then, how do you get that? Me- uh, sorry, that that methane and hydrogen mm. to market. And interestingly, in uh, just in Victoria, we've had a number of um, solar farm projects fall over or be deferred or have to uh, have severe added costs because of the the cost of injecting it back into the network and needing the the transmission line infrastructure, and that's being put back on the, the players, the investors. Um, so you don't need that new electricity line infrastructure, but you do need a, a gas line running by you. Yes, yeah, so having had first-hand experience of developing the Dubbo Solar Project, I, I fully recognise the issues of dealing with the network and, and getting a connection agreement for your solar project. Mm-hmm. So I understand what's going on. Uh, you, you're exactly correct. It is far easier to access the natural gas system it? than it is the electrical system. And, uh, are there that many pipelines running around that, that are convenient? Well, it, uh, in terms of land that's available, high sunlight intensity land in regional parts of Australia next to gas pipeline, there is plenty of land available. And it's on the west coast as well as the east coast, unlike mm-hmm. the electricity grid. Mm-hmm. Well, you're exactly right. So we have... Um, a natural gas pipeline system that basically gets to most households and we also have um, three large LNG hubs in Northwest Shelf, Darwin and Gladstone which gets us to export markets. Are you able to give us a feel for how much energy and volume you'll be able to produce with these things? You talk in terms of virtual wells, um, is, do, you, do you work in terms of multiples of that? Um, how, how will the scale? Well, so we've taken out the scale-up risk by proposing it. to modularise it. Yeah. So it, there really is no um, bounds on, on how much we can produce because the we've got so much flat land in high sunlight areas you know, near these gas pipelines, there really is no bounds to how much we can produce. But there's a cost for every module and embedded energy right. in it's, that. It's really only the capital or the investment funds available. Um, I mean, when you think of Australia's uh, superannuation is getting close to $2 trillion, perhaps some of that should be going into producing these projects. How would that that, um, product be developed? Would it be developed locally in Australia? Is that another market, you know, and also jobs that... Look, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to do an an Elon Musk and put a, a... factory in Australia that's going to produce these units. I don't see any reason why we couldn't do that. And would you then be looking at something like arena funding to do that sort of thing? Is that a possibility? Yeah, so in terms of the demonstration project, we'd be looking to access funds from uh, from other sources uh, as well as uh, you know, uh, getting new investment. Would from, Arena be interested? So we're talking to Arena. We're talking to the Clean Energy um, Finance Clean Corporation. Energy. We're talking to other groups that are specialising in in energy technologies. So we're, we're quite hopeful of being able to raise the funds we need to kick this off. What sort of capital are you looking for? We're seeking to raise two to three million dollars between now and the end of Doesn't the year. Doesn't sound much for this sort of technology. Well, the for startups, the you know the first million is always the hardest million to raise. <laughs> so uh, I've been through this before and. Uh, as I say, I'm hopeful. Um, we, I think we've got a, a good story and then striking a chord with potential investors. And when you go to that next phase of a full production plant, what sort of sums are you talking about there? Or is that too Well, that's early? when you start adding a lot of zeros on the end. But the people that are going to be interested in our projects, which are all the major energy and gas companies, they're very large balance sheets, very significant corporations. They have the capital to make this okay. happen. So you, you, you're saying you'll have proven it and then they'll jump on board? Exactly. 
that's the beauty of this, isn't it? That you're giving um, existing companies a product that they already can deal with. and So yeah. there's nothing different there. There's no, no hurdles to overcome. There's no rejection of a new model. It's... Yeah. It's mm. it's all safe the, for the them. Same. It, Yeah, you should be working for us, Kay. You've, you've <laughs> encapsulated in one. <laughs> well, it just always frustrates me when we see all these um, companies coming up against. Well, you know, like the fossil fuel industry, for instance, mm. saying re- renewals renewables will never work. And the, and the fact is that they're economically much more viable than the fossil fuel products are. But it, there's still this battle to get that, yes. get that through. No, you, you make a very good point, Kay. We are working with the existing system, not trying to beat them. And uh, so all the major gas and energy companies in the world, uh, they might be into oil, so but they're also into gas. So they may lose out on petrol and diesel sales over time, but they'll pick that up in using this gas to uh, reinforce their gas business. So we're working with the incumbents, not against them. Mm. So, Rowan, coming back to um, how do we know you've got the goods, tell us about Southern Green Gas and um, the people you've got involved there and what their experience is. Yes, well, this, so this is – we set up the company recently, but the, the idea gelled in our minds uh, back in 2012. So we've put together a good mix in terms of the, the board. Um, Ian Mutton's our chairman, who is a, is a wise gentleman. Um, we have uh, – um, Kate Thompson, who's an expert in stakeholder management. Uh, Mark Douglas, who's got a great commercial mind. Um, we've also brought on board Mike Oppenheimer as an advisor, who I knew at BHP. Mm-hmm. So he um, he knows the gas industry intimately. So we've assembled a good team of diverse skills. And how are you funding yourselves at the moment? Well, I'm dipping into my pocket, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but I really believe in this. Mm. Mm. We've only got about a minute left. So I don't know if you wanted to just very briefly talk about um, what sort of crowdfunding opportunities there are. Well, so we're we're doing a pledge round on Ready Fund Go. It's primarily to raise awareness. Uh, we'd like to think that people would uh, jump on board and pledge because it'll help us kickstart the demonstration project. If we reach our target and go beyond, we'll be able to build the first two phases of the demonstration project fairly quickly. So, and uh, listeners, that's not a BZD endorsement, but um, <laughs> you're um, welcome to follow it up at your own interest. Okay, well, Rowan, we've just run out of time. Thank you very much for coming here and explaining this exciting new technology to us. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, it was yeah, fun. Thanks, very Kate, interesting Michael. and, and uh, exciting possibility. And it's, so it's Southern Green Gas is the website that people go to to find out more information. That's it. Okay, thanks again, Rowan. And a link to your funding pledge there or...? A ready fun go. Okay. We've been speaking to Rowan Gillespie from Southern Green Gas. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, go to the BZE website and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more.
bze.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.